Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panetta. We are in studio today. Got a great one for you. Uh, Salam is joining us in studio again. I feel like I've done a couple episodes without you, so it's fun to have you back, Salam. It's good to be back. Yeah, and our guest, uh, Jasmine, who I'll introduce here shortly. Uh, but before I do, I always give the spiel of, of what we're all about and why we why we do this and and uh, what this is a part of. You know, the Rooted Leadership Podcast is really just an appendage almost to to a larger effort in our community that's centered around what we call groundwork at this leadership institute that we have. And the whole point of it, philanthropic endeavor, and the point is to create conditions for transformational change. We want to be a catalyst for transformational change. We believe that our leaders and our community, that what exists in them together is what's transformational, the potential they have. Uh, we just want to be a part of that and, and provide the space. So uh, that's what we're all about, and that's what we're, we're doing. And, and, and with that, our guest sitting across from me today, Jasmine White. Uh, Jasmine, I've just met you um, in, through your participation in, in our Leadership Institute. I know you're new to our, our community. You came from the East Coast a year and a half or so ago uh, to take over uh, as the director, right, of uh, what used to be Capital Media you tell me Cap- what, Capital Cap- Community, Capital Community is the executive director of okay. Capital Community, Community Television. Television and, and now it's Capital Community Media. Correct. correct? Okay. And uh, and I know you have just a, an awesome background which I hope you share a little bit about. Um and uh, I'll turn the time to you to to give yourself an introduction what we usually like to ask our guests is tell us about who you are and what you do and and we'll go from there and then we'll get into today's topic. Sure. So um, I am a transplant to Salem. I moved here from Washington, D.C. I'm originally from New York. Uh, So I spent my whole entire life on the East Coast before I came way across the country to take this job. Literally the opposite. Literally the opposite side of the country, 3000 miles away from all of my family and friends and everything that I know. It's crazy. Um, However, um, it's a really great organization. And the former executive director did a really good job in um, getting great relationships in the community. He loved the work. I love the work. So I've really been involved in community media and helping people create their own stories for a really long time, longer than I like to, to mention. Um, but it's really a great opportunity to help people express themselves and to, to have a freedom of speech platform for folks. Mm, love it. So that's what you, that's what you do. You want to share a little bit about kind of who you are? Sure. Who I am. I am the youngest daughter of three. Um, My mom and my sisters are in Florida. My dad still lives in New York, very close to my family. Um, I have a lovely pug at home, Bella, my 12 year old pug, who's like a little old lady because she's starting to turn into a curmudgeon because she's getting (laughs) old. Um, But I enjoy writing. I enjoy spending time with friends. And fortunately, um, I can do that virtually. I can still see people's faces. So I enjoy being creative. I enjoy speaking to people, talking to people. I love to cook. I love to eat. Um, I like to go on vacation. So love it. A little bit of who I am. Love it. And your, your pug, is it uh color fawn, fawn, fawn. or black or black fawn? And that's the okay. color she is fawn. Okay. We had a pug growing up, but it was a black pug. At this by. point, she's gray. Like <laughs> she's getting gray. her eyelashes are gray. Okay. It's super cute though. Everything about her is just, you know, gray. Yeah. He was a fun little dog. We named him Pugsley. Very original, Pugsley. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. That's good to hear. Fun to hear those things. What? What's? What is? I mean, opposite sides of the country. That's a big change. Other than you know, you're far from your family. What's some of the culture shock? I mean, what's different about this neck of the woods than what you're used to? Wow, there's a lot that's different. I would say certainly the weather. I was a little concerned about rainy season, but I think I like it. Mm. Um, You know, it's a lot more moderate than I thought it was going to be. The East Coast in D.C. is very humid and it can be really hot. Uh, And even though there's a lot of rain here, the rain on the East Coast is kind of violent. It's loud. It's thunder. It's lightning. The rain here is a little bit more relaxing. Mm -hmm. Um, I also appreciate the fact that there is less tension on the roads. It's people in Salem don't don't tend to use their horns as much as people <laughs> on the East Coast. They let people cross in a crosswalk, which is really interesting and yeah. a little bit scary. So I had to get used to the fact that when I'm walking the dog, I can actually you can walk across the crosswalk, walk across yeah. the street, and the cars were going to stop and and actually let me walk on by. So those are great things, though. Yeah, yeah I I've only been to the 
you know, East Coast kind of northern part. I lived, I used to live in the South, in South Carolina, but that's, I think, very different than, than East Coast. But I've been to New York and Boston and things, but just on a trip. And I was blown away by how fast everything was. Everything was fast and you couldn't stop anywhere. I remember wanting to use the restroom in New York at a Burger King and I couldn't. It was locked. And I was like, well, where am I supposed to go? I mean, there's nowhere to go here. It was so hard to find a restroom to just, you know. So I remember that feeling. And I, w- I was last time I was there was a teenager. So but it stuck. It stuck. It stood out to me of how fast everything mm-hmm. was. It can be fast. And that pace creates attention. Mm-hmm. And it creates attention in lots of different spaces. So in traffic and personal relationships, professional relationships, yep. that tension just exists and mm-hmm. you just become accustomed <clears throat> to it. And um, when I moved here, I realized that I don't have to move that fast. But I also had to get accustomed to the fact that people in Salem like to move a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. So if there's a meeting at one o'clock, the meeting might actually start at one fifteen, right? <laughs> like people want to take a few minutes to just say, how are you? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. how was your weekend to just talk and understand each other, get to know each other a little bit better mm-hmm. on the East Coast. If this meeting is at one o'clock by one o two. We're in the agenda, like we're starting to move through the order of business of the day. Um, And so here Mm -hmm. people like to take things a little bit slower. So, well, we should bring that part of your East Coast, (laughs) East Coastness here to start on time with things Uh, because I'm the same way. It's like when we start, I want to be started. I know. Yeah. So I've learned. I hear you. Well, maybe it's the further west you go, the slower it gets because I used to live in Hawaii and it is so slow there. Everything. Is in slow motion. <laughs> Even traffic, everything is way, 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 way slow. So if we, if you think you're slow, I don't know if you've been to Hawaii. It's even slower over there. Yeah. So maybe just it's all about down. balance. <laughs> it's all about balance. It's, it's all about balance, and it's all about finding that rhythm that allows you to connect and still do what yeah. you need to do. Yeah. Yeah. But we are really thrilled to have you here in Jay's in um, to have Jasmine in Salem. I was a part of the hiring committee at Capital Community Media, and we were just thrilled and we're extremely lucky to have somebody of your caliber, your experience, your passion for public television, uh, community television, which is public television still in many respects. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we're just thrilled that you like it here. I mean, for me, it is so reassuring to hear you say, (laughs) I like the rain, Uh, because that's the one thing that most people don't get used to. But you're absolutely right. There is some peace and tranquility associated mm-hmm. with the rain. We still need sun breaks and extended periods of sun. But uh, yeah, we're really thrilled to have you in Salem and uh, look forward to see um, how you bring to bear, if you will, your knowledge and experience from the East Coast and uh, community media into Salem and for us to have the benefit of that. Yeah, you've already you've already added you know tremendous value to our to our leadership institute, we're only a couple of months into it. And, and that's what I, you know, with that, I wanted to kind of dive in, dive into things a little bit. You know, today I was thinking about some of the, the conversations that we've had, uh, in our last couple of sessions, uh, as a leadership institute with everybody together, you know, some in, in the session, some, you know, offline. And it, and as I was reflecting on what, what you've said and what we could talk about today, and I know I shared this with you pre-recording, um, was this idea of these little changes and realizations you've made. Because I think that it's those small and simple things that lead to to transformational change. And everything that we're espousing to be here as an institute <laughs> is about transformational change. Um, but we know, you know, through through what we've learned, that comes in leaps and bounds. But the little changes... Those don't come in le- leaps and bounds. Those are incremental um, and little by little. And uh, so that's kind of what I wanted to get into today. But maybe we start back to, uh, you know, last month uh, in the retreat, spent three long days uh, together. And you were one of our hype people. Thanks for being one of the hype hype individuals there that we assigned out to get everybody going each time. Um, but maybe just tell us about, just recap that experience um, with us. Uh, you know, what some of your key takeaways were, what was going through your head and what was challenging, et cetera. It's, it's really hard to recap the experience because I feel like so many things happened in such, such a short period of time. And I immediately was impressed with the leaders in the room and the amount of experience and the amount of knowledge in that one space and how much I have to learn. 
And so that becomes evident really quickly. Once I start to listen to some of the stories that other people have and some of their experiences that you never get to a place in leadership where you arrive, there's always so much more that you have to learn about yourself and then about other people and how to apply that. Um, I was really impressed with the curriculum and um, how thoughtful and intentional it was. And the whole experience of the retreat made me feel really honored and valued to be a part of this group and to for you guys to set that time aside and to have staff present to be supportive and to help us was a great start to the program. And it makes me feel like, okay, I need to be 100% in, like I have to be all in to really get the best out of this experience. Mm, love that. So what, uh, if you want to get into the details of anything of what was going through your mind in certain moments, what, what realizations did you make when we talk about those small incremental changes and in the way we think or see what, what were some of those moments for you? I realized really quickly that this was going to be a challenge, a real challenge, right? So I had a self-awareness moment where I'm like, okay, <laughs> so I think that I'm doing a good job, right? And I think that I have some some leadership skills and some some leadership qualities, but then I realized that some of the things that I thought were good values were things that I actually really need to question and in some cases deprogram myself. Um, I love to preach work-life balance, but I'm a terrible example of it. Right. So if people if if staff or people on my team look at my life and look at how much time I spend at work and then I tell them, well, you know, you really shouldn't be working on your days off or you shouldn't be checking emails on your days. off. These are things I totally do. So I really had to take a look at uh, the things that I do and not just the things that I say and actually really being an example of the leadership and being an, a, a model to other people on my team. There's a. Uh said this the last few episodes, I feel that I've, I've recorded with people, but you reminded me of uh, when you're talking about the deprogramming, uh, this quote from, from an American author, Alvin Toffler, I think. I think I said this the other day in our session, but uh, you know, he said, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be the ones who can't read and write. It'll be the ones who can't learn, unlearn, and relearn. Wow. Uh, and uh, I love that because uh, you know, that's what you're talking about is this and that's what we want to provide for people is a space to to be able to do that because we get caught up in all things and doing doing what we're supposed to do and, and getting our work done that sometimes we don't take the time to hold on. Should that be something I deprogram? Should that be something that I think about differently? Um, and I think it's so important, yeah. especially in today's today's world. Yeah. And, and I'm really curious about this notion of deprogramming <laughs> uh, versus transformation, if you will. Uh, because even if you deprogram, you still have the residual effect of whatever experience or influences or things that led you to where you are as a leader today or as a person for that matter. So could you elaborate a little bit on this? And, and I'd love to get your thoughts relative to um, we can't completely de deprogram, if you will, but we can transform. We can identify gaps, perhaps where we need to enhance, expand, accelerate you know, supplement our leadership or the way we show up. Um, so I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts and, and what really led you to think about that aspect of um, the, inst the, inst uh, the retreat, excuse me, relative to, you know, this reflection that you had. I think the concept of vulnerability is something that I really struggle with as a leader. And I think it is because uh, growing up in an environment where I was very concerned with um, self-preservation mm. and protection and survival. You grow this tough skin, right? And so this tough skin is this persona that you create of yourself because you don't want people to see what's under that next layer. And it could be perceived as a sign of weakness. And so if you move through life like that for years and, and decades, and this is how you manage yourself, this is how you manage your work and your world and your relationships, you know, vulnerability becomes a challenge. But vulnerability is important and it's important for um, all relationships, for people to understand that we just have to see each other as humans. Right. And so right. we all have some of the same struggles. And even though I'm really proud of where I come from and I really value those experiences, I realize that I can have a tough skin, but a soft heart. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I, it was, uh, well, one of my, you know, my favorite books, Strength to Love, Martin Luther King Jr. He talks about 
tough mind, tender heart. Um, this mm-hmm. is a quick note. I love his, some of his, uh, sermons on that, but, uh, I, yes, just yesterday I had two high school students in here and, uh, that go to Sprague and they're, they're amazing. So when that episode comes out, I hope you listen to it. They were truly inspiring. I mean, when you have a kid, two 17 year olds, uh, say the number one thing they care about is that students that walk through the doors of their school feel like they belong. Mm-hmm. You, you pay attention to what they have to say. And they talked about vulnerability a ton. Um, and so I'm going to name that. I think we're going to name that episode, um, you know, learning leadership from, from two high schoolers, but, but we talked about this making a milkshake of leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the key things we kept talking about was you got to put vulnerability in there. Yeah. You know, it's just one of the, it's such an important element of, of leadership. And I, they had, you know, authenticity and, and genuineness and a few other things, but vulnerability was one that Delaney specifically, um, she kept, she kept talking about. So I'm glad that you, you bring that up. And I want to piggyback on Salam's question. And if you can expound a little bit more, we're talking about deprogramming or unlearning and relearning. Do you think that, what's your, what's your kind of insight on, do you think that we have to deprogram or unlearn certain things in order to, to transform, in order to make that leap to, to, uh, to transformation? I think an understanding that your lenses create expectations that other people are not aware of. Right. So the lenses that I have that I see the world through, I have expectations of how people should perform. I have expectations of um, how much of your personal life you should bring into the workplace Mm -hmm. about how you should respond to certain things. But those are just my lenses. Right. And if you don't take the time to understand other people's lenses. And one of the things I really appreciate about groundwork is being introduced to the tools that really let you see and understand some of the things that you normally wouldn't think about. So having the opportunity to say, I have to look at what a person's interests are. I have to try to understand what their challenges are. I have to understand how I may have negatively impacted them in some way, shape or form. And that is all of those things have gotten this relationship to where it is today. So for me, just being aware of those lenses and um, understanding that my way is not the right way, that my truth is not somebody else's truth, and that we're all having very different experiences all the time. Yeah. yeah. What, yeah. what I really love about that is, is knowing my way, knowing my truth. Because, you know, a lot of what we talk about at the Institute is this I-it versus I-thou relationship. And it really starts with the I-it, which is understanding who I am, knowing your why, knowing your purpose. And I love what you said about understanding my impact on others. So when I think about this uh, deprogramming, reprogramming, et cetera, I think a lot of it stems from this notion that we have to know who we are, because if we want to show up differently, we have to understand how we're showing up. And I love the intentionality behind that. Um, I'm curious about places where you find this is to be most um, true for you. Is it in all settings, in all contexts where you, you think about, you know, I, I need to, um, you know, change the way I approach things, or I have now a better understanding of how I approach this, or is that confined to the workplace, let's say, uh, or do you see applications across the board, you know, in terms of life, social relationships, um, et cetera? I see it across uh, life across the board. So I um, I'm really into personal development and, and reading books that help me understand myself a little bit better and understand how I can interact with other people to have the best experience. Um, I believe that my ultimate mission in in life is to help um, other people be the, the best version of themselves. And so in order to do that, I really try to understand myself. And um, one of the things that I, I, I noticed during the retreat is and we were talking about the things that I thought were really good things. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they're not so good things. I've always described myself as a problem solver. Like I'm your girl. <laughs> like I am a creative problem solver. That's what I do. That's what I can bring to an organization. Yeah. That's what I can bring to a relationship. I can make this happen, whatever it is. And so looking at the framework, I had to think, okay, maybe problem solving is not always the the first approach, right? So we have to be intentional about mm-hmm. decision-making and doing yeah. research. And because I am a vision-driven uh, person and I'm a results-driven person, I'm always thinking about the end. I'm always thinking about what we want this to be, what I want this organization to be, what I want this relationship to be, and not really focusing on 
what's happening in between of where I am with this person or where I am with this situation right now and where I want it to be. Focusing on that in between, that space in between is something that I really need to spend more time doing and that I haven't done. Um, Even when it comes to like cultivating people to get the organization to that point to achieve the vision or to the result, that's an area where I really need to spend some more time. Yeah, Yeah, I've been, uh, I love everything you just said. You know, I've been just neck deep in, in, in our curriculum lately, uh, just you know, working to improve it and enhance it and learning from, from everything that we do. And, uh, I've come to this, this point, which I know will change and continue to adapt, but that all of our content really stems from these three levels of understanding. And Salam already mentioned one, and you just mentioned another, which is, you know, Salam mentioned understanding ourself, you know, when we can understand ourselves at a really deep, authentic, vulnerable way, um, it's, it's huge. Right. And, and, and as we talked about at the retreat and in our content, not a lot of people are willing to do that because we're afraid we don't, we're afraid of what we might see, it's what we scary. might find out. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so it's hard. It's not an easy thing to just really, to deeply understand who you are. So that's the first, the second is to deeply understand others, uh, that mm-hmm. you've already mentioned, you know, these lenses. And that's one of our sections and weeds of, we create, we have these lenses that we see things through because of those lenses, we create expectations on others. So to understand others in a deep way, to see them as people, et cetera, is not easy either. But then you just mentioned the third step, which I think is the most important. It's that space between us that we have to understand that space between us um, because that's where everything's manifested. That's where all the ideas come out and the problems that we're solving, the conflict, that's the relationship. Um, and so understanding that space between is a, is another key element, but everything that I keep thinking of always comes back to one of those three areas, understanding ourselves, others are this space between. Um, so I'm, I love that you, you mentioned that. But these are, these are hard realizations to think that I have been seeing people not as people. It's hard to oh, admit yeah. Yeah. that because yes, I've been seeing people as people, you know, mm-hmm. my whole entire life. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what, yes. what helped you specifically, if anything, it, in the content that maybe helped you make that realization because you're right that's not an easy realization to make but i think it's a really profound one so what what what, was there anything specific that that kind of helped you maybe (laughs) come to that realization um i think the discussions that we had around um how we interact with people and because i am a results person and we, during the training, we talked a lot about innovation mm-hmm. and how people use that word guilty, right? Yeah. Like this is something that I'm guilty of. And I'm thinking we have to be innovative. I have this vision of the organization. I have this mission. This is what I want to do. And I'm not really taking the time to see the people as deeply as I need to. These are the people that's actually going to get us there mm-hmm. and not spending the time to figure out what they need. Um, how can we make sure that they're being properly supported so that they can get us to the vision is, is as important or more important than the vision itself than yeah. wherever it is that you're trying to go. So when we started to to look at that, I think it's a seed, the seed cycle. cycle. Yeah. So when we started to look at that seed cycle, I said, okay, I am totally skipping yeah. this step, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're getting right into the research and generating ideas and refining ideas. Mm-hmm. Like I'm really good at those things, yeah. but really skipping that process of having conversations with people, understanding people doing that soil work. Yeah. Yeah. The cultivation. Yes. You know, um, I love that you brought up the term innovation because we don't need to spend a ton of time on it, but Salam has taught me a lot about innovation and it's really a term that's hijacked quite a bit. Uh, you know, (laughs) it's a good way to describe it. It's hijacked. hijacked. Remember that. Yeah. It's hijacked quite a bit, but, uh, the concept in that, in the seed cycle is slow to fast. If you remember, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you know, Salam has been a great example of reminding me of that, because when we hear the word innovation, usually we think of like something just popping out of nowhere and this brilliant idea comes out of nowhere and boom, solved it. But it actually takes some time and some deliberate um, efforts for for innovation to actually mm-hmm. become something that's no longer hijacked and something that's real. Um, so I, I appreciate you yeah. bringing that up. Yeah. I, I would add, actually, innovation has, in my view, a higher level of accountability associated with it, especially if you do it the right way. Because when you're innovating, whether it's inventing or enhancing 
you're working towards something really specific. And I think that's where the vulnerability comes into play, because as a leader that's trying to cultivate that, sometimes you really don't know exactly what it's going to look like. <laughs> but um, I was having a conversation with someone this morning relative to innovations that are supposed to be normative. They're supposed to be the norm. But mm -hmm. when people are not doing exactly what they're supposed to do and they start to do something different or just a slight, slight modification to what they're doing, it becomes an innovation, but nothing really changes. So where is the enhancement? Where is the, the product, if yeah. you will? Um, and most importantly, when I, when I say there's accountability associated with it, because there's a deliverable that's supposed to come at the end of that process, it's not just an abstract exercise, unless you do an experimentation relative to a disease that you're trying mm -hmm. to eradicate. But you know, in a company, in an organization, you wanna do something different, you wanna add something, you wanna enhance, et cetera. So there is a deliverable and at the, at the retreat, we talked about constraints. There are a lot of constraints associated with, with innovation, and that's where the accountability comes into play. The creative constraints. The creative constraints. Mm. And I think I, I really, now as I think about the change filter, it could actually be very applicable to this context because there is accountability associated with it. Because through innovation, you're asking a lot of people to change and practices to change, but am I willing to do that myself? But uh, I agree with Chris. I think innovation is something that's overused and sometimes over-exaggerated because the innovation could be a really slight enhancement. Um, it could be an innovation in practice in the way we see each other and the way, the way we operate and the culture that we have as an organization. So talk about uh, innovations at Capital Community Media as your envisioning some possibilities there, unless you don't want to forecast to the audience what's coming. <laughs> well, first, I want to say, I think that you guys are a really great example of um, the things that we're discussing in the program. And I've made some notes of some of the things that you guys do with your team and with us as participants in the program that I feel like really small things can go a really long way. Mm -hmm. um, I received a handwritten card from Kasha a couple of days ago, mm -hmm. which was really, you know, small gesture, but a big gesture, yeah. right? Because it said that I can take this time to write this card and tell you thank you and tell you that we appreciate your participation. And that's something that I feel like is a small thing yeah. um, that can be done. Um, so as far as innovation at CC Media, we're looking to do a lot of exciting things. I'll try my best not to overuse the word. Um, but we're uh, looking at changing the way that we interact and engage with the community. And um, for over 30 years, we were in a space where we were pretty much documenting things that were happening in the city, important things. So government meetings, um, events, uh, high school sports, which is huge in this town. And I learned that really quickly when I got here, not to mess with the high school sports. <laughs> right. People really want to see the, the high school football games and the high school basketball games. Um, but I started to think. Are we using the resources of the organization um, as effectively as we could? Could we use this tool as an opportunity to tell different types of stories, mm -hmm. to give people the space and give people a platform to discuss issues that are important to them in a space where they won't be censored, in a space where they can be supported and you don't have to be a technical expert. You just have to be someone that has something important to say. And I think that's important that we are now becoming a speaker as opposed to just being documenting things that's happening mm -hmm. um, in the community, which is a huge change for the organization, creating content and being a creator and being a producer and being mm -hmm. a speaker. So that is a change that is one of the challenges in um, that we're having is getting the staff and getting people to understand like we can have a voice. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to just sit back and let people create their own content, we can create content. We can yeah. say, you know, this is an important issue to us. This is an important issue to this community. We want to bring some folks to the table, have them come together, have a forum and have a discussion. Yeah. Interesting. Which causes you to see the community in a different way. Absolutely. Sorry, Chris, go ahead. No, you're good. So um, I like this idea that we're talking about with innovation. And thanks for sharing that because that is a that it's going to be, like you said, a it's a shift in how things have, have been um, in the past into, into something new and the change that that requires of not just the organization, but individuals can be, can be hard. And, and uh, one of the things I wanted to, to get into is, is how do these insights and these things you're learning 
these experiences you've been having, even though it's just been the last couple of months, how do you start to translate that amongst your team? Um, and to set more context, just building off this idea of, of innovation, you know, mentioned it, 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 it's, it's hijacked often. And because it's hijacked, people get robbed of, of really authentic and, and great change that can happen. Um, but there's this, there's this difference and I hope that this makes sense, but I, there's this, there's this difference between, you know, where we are and then maybe what we want to be is clear out of the, you know, it's, it's this big transformation that's kind of daunting and scary and unknown. It's unpredictable and it doesn't just happen overnight. There's little things that, that lead to it. And that, those are the things that I think can enthrall and, and bring people in. And uh, just yesterday I was sharing this example with, uh, with, you know, the two guests we had on, but have any of you, we've all seen toddlers interact, right? I have toddlers right now. Salam, Salam's kids are all adults now, but they used to be toddlers. And, and, uh, when you see toddlers interact, it's really fascinating because they get enthralled by one another. If you don't ever find a toddler getting captivated and enthralled by like a 30 year old, <laughs> they just, it's like so far off for them, you know, that they don't even think about it. It's so, that's something that's so far advanced from them. But if you have a three-year-old and another three and a half year old enters the room that knows it a little bit more than they do, like maybe they're a little more coordinated or they have a few more words up their arsenal, they're captivated by them. Like I have an almost two-year-old and when she meets another toddler, she is captivated with that toddler, especially if it's a little older toddler. And I think the reason behind that is because it's within reach for them. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's, they're enthralled by something that is different and better than better, quote unquote, better, more advanced than them. It's a different, a better version, but it's within reach where they don't get enthralled with me because I'm much older than, than them. Right. And so I think there's something to that with, with the change that, that perhaps we we go through with our team. And so now I want to get into how do you actualize some of these things you're learning to to captivate your team and lead them to change? Because we can't just say, hey, we're going to be this beautiful, wonderful thing that's maybe far off because that can feel daunting and, and unattainable. But what are the little bits of enthrallment that get people there? Um, and, and how are the things that you've been learning, um, even though, again, it's just been the last couple of months, these realizations you've made, which I think are important, help, help uh, get you there? I think that's one of the the biggest daunting things for a team is when you have a person come in and they paint this big picture of where we're going to go. And then people are asking themselves, like, what does that mean for me? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, what does that mean for me? Yeah. What does that mean for my mm -hmm. job? Do I have the skill set to do it? You know, what if I don't have the skill set to do it? Am I going to be supported? So there is an internal conversation that people are having while you're having this external conversation. So I think that understanding that for some people, maybe this vision is not within reach. And so ha you have to take the time to, to try to get people there and try mm -hmm. to figure out well, what are your thoughts about this and give people the opportunity to have some input, to have some buy-in. Even though we know what the big picture is, there's lots of room for ideas of how we get there. Mm -hmm. And so I think that making sure that you're spending time with people and finding out what they need um, and, and giving them the tools that they need to get there is really important. And um, for me, it is taking time to ask people very clearly, what do you need from me? So like we have lots of conversations, like how people feel about their jobs and, you know, goal conversations and smart goals and, you know, all of those things. But it's really important to ask, what do you need from me? And that was something that uh, I learned from a supervisor years ago. And we would have, you know, conversations. Sometimes they weren't always the greatest conversations, but he always ended it by asking what do you need from me? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is a, a great place to start. Yeah. You said something uh, in our leadership session last Friday, standing by the window, you know, during something. I don't remember. What was, it, was it very poetic? I mean, I was by a window. It was pretty good. Yeah. It was like <laughs> poetic. The sun was coming in. And, no, it was. It was really profound. But you said, and I won't get it word for word, so you can correct me, but you said something along the lines of, you know, I always thought that I needed to treat other people the way I wanted to be treated. But what I'm realizing more and more is I need to treat other people the way they want to be treated. So what do you what do you, dive into that? What do you mean by that? And how does that apply to what you just said? So on a personal level, I am kind of an introvert, even though people don't think I am, but I am. So I'm kind of an introvert. I'm a bit of a loner. Um, I do a lot of thinking and planning in my head and to myself. So I like to be left alone. 
So that is how I treat other people. So uh, even in a professional space, mm-hmm. if I have someone in a leadership position and we're clear about what the goal is and we're clear about what their work is, I want to let them go off into the sunset and, and do their own thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I try really hard not to micromanage Give people. people their space. Exactly. Because I don't like to be micromanaged. So I don't like to mm-hmm. micromanage people. But other people, some people really want more of a check in. They want to know, am I right. on the right path? They want to have more conversations. Feedback. And other people are are fine being off in their own direction. So acknowledging that we are all very different and mm-hmm. we all have very different needs and we bring those needs into the workplace. And my job is to make sure that people have what they need to do their job. Right. So I have to find out what people need, which means I have to ask. And it's not automatically the things that I need. Right. Some people work better in the mornings. Right. Their, their brain just works a little bit better. They might be morning people. Mm-hmm. Um, some folks I'm learning are really um, specific about when they want to do creative work and um, when they want to do other types of work. So it's it's a challenge for me because when you have a team and everybody's very different, um, I want to make sure that we're actually moving forward, but that I'm paying really close attention to what people need and what they want. Yeah. So I'm going to ask a question and this curious of your response. Okay. Ba- <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. No, based upon everything we've talked about and obviously what we discuss in our curriculum, you know, think of your organization. And if I'm to say, if I were to say, you know, your organization transforms, becomes something better, uh, you know, takes that leap to transformation. What are the ingredients for that? You know, what's the What's the cocktail? What's the, what's, what do we put together? As I was talking about with the, you know, the young, the young people yesterday, what's the, what's the, what would we put in the milkshake for that? We were talking about leadership, but specifically for transformation in, from what you understand and your whole experience that you bring to the table. And then recently with some of the things we've been discussing in the Institute, what would you say are key elements to, to creating these conditions for transformation? Um, curiosity. Mm. Because we're looking at doing things differently, which means we have to be curious about our work. We have to explore things that we haven't explored before. We have to look at what people are doing across the country. We have to have curious conversations and just ask why or how. Um, experimentation. So we have to be ready to to do some things that we've never done before. Similar to what you guys are doing with this podcast. Chris explained to me, he's not a podcast expert, but he did some research. He we bought some stuff. Bought and there some we are. stuff. And, and <laughs> you know, you decided that you were going to do a podcast and we have to be experimental. And I, I like to tell my team um, something that I heard from Will Smith, so I can't take credit for it, is that it's OK to fail forward. Mm, fail forward. Yeah. If we're experimenting, if we're trying something new and it doesn't work, you know, that's not a loss. It's a lesson. Mm. And so we have to be willing to have those lessons. Uh, another key ingredient would be community. So we absolutely are are looking for building and developing relationships and being engaged with this community so we can have conversations about things that's important to them. Uh, we're looking into developing a news arm of the organizations. And one of the things that I'm really mindful of is I don't want to create a space where we are uh, making news about people. I want it to be for people. I want mm. it to be with people. This is something that we want to do together. So we don't want to do it space about between. a group. Exactly. The space between. So I would say that those are the, the key elements, uh, community, curiosity, experimentation. Love it. There's a lot of things going through my mind that I, I want to build on those salon, but I want to let you go because I. Well, going back to this notion of innovation, that is your innovation. I mean, and that is really an, a form of transformation because you're you're transforming the lived experience of the people that you're expecting to deliver on this, which is your team. But you're also transforming the community's experience relative to how they engage with a medium like capital community media, whether it's in, in terms of information that they're receiving or content that they're creating in collaboration with, with capital community media. I, I just think... Whenever we talk about organizational transformations and whether it's innovation or just routine change management that we go through, we just have to remember, and this is what I appreciated about what you said, it's that it's the people. It's about the people because this work isn't going to happen just, you know, on its own, magically transform. It takes people to transform the organization and the culture and the practices 
And that's, um, you know, I go back to the cultivation and the soil work that we underscore mm-hmm. uh, in this in this program, which is in this framework, which is really essential. And it's about, you know, building those relationships and seeing people and creating the right conditions for that to happen. I, I love this vision. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we talk about this in the Institute of, of this difference between change and transformation and a f- former guest on our show, Jim worded it nicely, you know, that transformation, we don't really have control over it. It just, it happens and happens in leaps and bounds. Uh, and, and oftentimes we confuse that with change or change management, like Salam mentioned, but the change and the change management, in my opinion, that is controllable. And those are our conditions. We can certainly control these conditions for transformation and we can create cultures around them and expectations around them. Things like curiosity, you know, experimenting, having a sense of community. Uh, we put things like that in place and, uh, and, and it gives the opportunity for transformation to be possible. Um, and, uh, you remember Seth, he was our guest last week. He was on the show that the night before and him and I were talking about this idea of predictable and unpredictable and transformation has this unpredictable feeling to it, which makes it kind of scary because when you can't predict something, it's a bit, it's a bit scary because things could be completely different and, I was going to, I was going to joke when you were talking about experimenting, I was say, Salam, should we tell her that groundwork is an experiment? Just... <laughs> it's all an experiment. It's all experiment. It's well, just... we're, we're in, in year three, we're past <laughs> the experiment phase, right? Yeah. But, but what I mean by that is, is, uh, it's unpredictable. Mm-hmm. I would have right. never been able to predict that it would be like it is now three years ago or, you know, five years ago when I moved up here, um, that things would be happening like they are now. And it's, and it's scary because things can change. I can change. I might be doing something different. And that's hard for organizations to do, especially leaders, because there's no guarantee. But uh, I also read something the other day about the predictable, you know, of the the, the negative aspects of things that are predictable is mm-hmm. there's no learning in it. There's no growth. If you can yeah. predict it, then why, you know, well, if you know what's going to happen, then what what's the point? There's right. no it's growth. It's easy. It's no challenge. It, it, exactly. Yeah. And it becomes routinized over time. This is why I really love this idea of curiosity, because I think human beings by nature, going back to the toddler example, curious. we're curious by nature. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can create a culture and an environment that cultivates that or erodes it, so to speak. So I think this idea of curiosity can um and and I'd love to hear your you expand on it Jasmine can just lead you somewhere that's that's not predictable perhaps but at least you have a sense of where you want to go and you're just inviting people and encouraging them encouraging them and sometimes empowering them to be curious yeah curiosity for me is is the number one characteristic in terms of talent search i'm looking for somebody that's curious Right. Mm -hmm. The skills in what we do, a lot of times you can teach, you can teach somebody how to shoot, you can teach them how to edit, you can work through composition, you can work through those technical skills can be taught. All of those things can be taught. But a person who is just curious about life, just curious Mm -hmm. about their work and curious about how their work affects other people. And, you know, can I join this team? And I know this isn't a part of my job, but would you mind if I went out on this project? Like those are great things. Mm -hmm. And that curiosity, I think it's infectious. And it helps a team grow in ways that you don't know that your organization needs to grow because we just yeah. don't know all of these things. We can right. write a perfect job description on a piece of paper, but we don't know mm-hmm. the things until we get a person who is curious and opens our eyes to like, hey, what if we did this? Yeah. Like I saw this here or I read this here. Could we do something like that? Yeah. So that's all yeah. curiosity. Yeah. Is it threatening sometimes you think? If we have um, employees or staff or colleagues that are really curious, they want to be in everything. They want to be a part of this team and that project and that group. Um, I just wonder sometimes uh, from just a structural point of view, if there is a particular culture that enhances that and thrives on it and their cultures that are actually threatened by it, which means the I-it relationship, I-thou relationship that space in between becomes unhealthy because mm-hmm. that curiosity, that drive that a certain person has becomes threatening, let's say, to a position, a person in a position of authority. Um, any thoughts on that? 
I think it can be threatening. I think if you look at your traditional, if you think of your traditional organization chart where you see people's mm-hmm. positions or roles in boxes, you know, people have silos and they have silos yeah. within organizations. And so this is my box. Mm-hmm. I am in the box. This is my job. These mm-hmm. are my duties. And this is where I want to stay. Mm-hmm. So when you have someone in the box next to you that's coming outside of their box, yeah, they're right? They're kind of spilling into your <laughs> box and it's yeah. like, hey, I'm not yeah. comfortable with yeah. this. Like somebody needs to get yeah. this situation under control. Right. But that's actually what is beneficial to the organization. Yes. And so that can be a challenge to manage that because people, I think that people really want to do their jobs well. And so making sure that people have a path to success and that everybody is clear on what that means. Yeah. Managing it, bridling it. Exactly. So if success is curiosity and if success is experimentation, then people need to understand that. And sometimes an environment can be, well, success is a numbers game. How many of these things can you do? How many products can you produce? How many things can you create? And then a new leader can come in and say, well, that's not how we want to de- define success in this organization anymore. This success is going to be about curiosity and yeah. it's going to be about experimentation. Yeah. And going back to our our framework, you know, when you say curiosity, you mentioned you want you look for people that are curious about life. And, and I mentioned earlier kind of those three philosophical things that I think are so core to all of our curriculum of understanding self, understanding the other and understanding the space between that the curiosity balanced in those three areas is is imperative because if all we are is curious about ourselves then we're we're pretty <laughs> arrogant selfish individual that only cares about ourselves because we're just curious about us mm-hmm. um, and if all we are is curious about others all the time then we might be a bit intrusive we mm-hmm. might not fully you know we might not understand boundaries we might go over the line but when we're curious about that space between then we find the balance because we know right uh, we know how we are. We, we're curious, but we're understanding how others are. And we find the balance. We find the relationship. Uh, I love these three ingredients. This was not scripted, by the way, uh, <laughs> people listening. But those are so amazing. And I love how you just listed them off. It was like, I don't know if you prepared to talk about those three things because I didn't send you that question. You didn't know that question was coming, but I love how those three elements come together. And I thought of a story I wanted to share of... Uh, a, an individual that I met, you know, a number of years ago, he's actually going to come speak out to our group in August on innovation. Actually, uh, his name is Richard Sheridan, um, CEO. Well, actually, his title is the Chief Joy Officer. I, I love those titles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, technically CEO of Menlo Innovations, a software development company in uh, Michigan, and uh, he's he's the author of Joy Inc. and the book called Chief Joy Officer. But the first time I met him, he was speaking and he was talking about these, ele- like he wasn't saying these words specifically, curiosity, experiment, community, but he shared a story that really brought things together. I, actually, he was specifically talking about experimenting, but he shared this example where uh, they have this just incredible work environment. People travel from all over the world just to walk through it. And they're software developers. They write code all day, but it's amazing what they do and how they do it enough to draw attention internationally. Uh, but he has this philosophy of always experiment, try the experiment, test the experiment. If it works, you might discover something amazing. If it doesn't, well, then you know it doesn't work. But he shared this example of one time where he had this lady that worked um, for him and uh, she became pregnant and had her baby. And he had, they had developed this plan together of you know how she was going to come back to work and yada, yada. And, and she had a babysitter lined up, you know, somebody to, I think it was a family member to watch her child. And it was all lined up so that she could come back to work full time. And he's just an awesome person. So he wants to make that happen, you know? And uh, she comes to him and says, I can't, I can't make it happen. You know, my daycare option fell through and I just can't swing it. So I'm, I'm going to have to quit. I can't, I can't work here um, until, you know, things get resolved, but it doesn't look like it's going to be that way. So it was kind of like this, I, I, sorry, I got to quit moment. And he said in the moment, you know, like the cartoons, you have the little angel and the devil on your shoulders. He said the little, the little, uh, the, the devil on his shoulder was just to say, oh, I'm so sorry about mm-hmm. that. I understand if you ever want a job back, you're, you're, you have a job waiting. He's like, that's a pretty good option coming from the little devil on my shoulder. But he said, when you contrast that with what the little angel was saying, you'll see why. He said the little angel was telling him, just tell her to bring her baby to work. Just tell her to bring her baby to work. It'll be fine. 
And then he said, the next thing you know, those words were coming out of my mouth. I said, just bring the baby to work. And I couldn't believe I said it is what he said. I couldn't believe I was saying those words. And she looked at me, she said, really? And he said, yes, let's do it. And, you know, you still got to get your work done and we'll, we'll make it work, but, but bring your baby to work. And uh, he said, I'll, I'll test the experiment. He said, that was, you know, that was baby number one. Um, and then he said, that was, I think it was something like 26 babies ago. Wow. And he clicked his slide and had pictures of these babies all over in office environment. And then he shared what happened after he said, gosh, when we started having kids, these little babies in the office, work productivity went up conflict. We already had, we hardly had any conflict in the office, but it was like non-existent after Mm -hmm. that. The guests that we would have that would come, they loved the environment. We'd have clients come through. They loved the environment. They would be more vulnerable, more open. And he's all, our profits started to go up. Wow. So he talked about how all these things changed, these, these really incredible transformational changes because of he wanted to run the experiment. Um, and he was curious enough to do so. And, and he already developed this culture of community there. And, and so I thought of that story when you shared these as, as, as ingredients for transformation, because here's an example of, of, of a great organization who spent, he spends his time creating those conditions and amazing things happen. I think that that is amazing because it's really hard to throw away the plan. It's really hard. You know, he obviously had a plan and they, they had a plan together. She's going to come back to work and they had it all ironed out and then it's not working out. It's really hard to abandon that plan. And sometimes leaders want to stick with the plan because they created it. Mm-hmm. Like, I know this is great. I put a lot of time <laughs> yeah. and effort into it. We are going to do this. Everybody has to get on board. But sometimes you just have to do something else. Yeah. Or as we say in the curriculum, dare to explore the space. new spaces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an opportunity um, for leaders in general, sometimes to trust their instincts mm-hmm. and some of the intuitions that come along with that. We always feel like we have, you know, we're forced. It's an either or. But um, I think if we step back and look at it through the lens of the framework, if, we're, if we were to use the framework as, as the analogy here, I think that could take us in a lot of different directions. And a lot of it comes back to the principle that it's all about people. So in this particular case, he saw a person. Yeah. He just did not see a, an asset to the company or a, um, you know, a, a partner relative to a plan. He saw a person. And sometimes this notion of curiosity and experimentation could be really that key for transformational change. Because in this mm-hmm. particular case, he transformed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, yeah did, and, and- she really did not. In, in some ways, you could say she... Well, you he know, had this change that led to a transformation. But then, but then through his transformation, there has been this tremendous transformation for everybody involved. Yeah. And now for people that come through to visit and observe and experience that, that environment. Yes, yeah, this little, little, little small, little simple thing mm-hmm. he follows. And it leads to this massive, you know, transformation. And, and I'll tell you, I, am, I, I think I teared up when he said he kind of paused dramatically. That was 26 babies ago. <laughs> you know, and he has pictures of the babies on the slides. Uh, man, it was, it was pretty cool. Um, we just have a few minutes left. So to end, I want to kind of take those ingredients that you shared and get to this final element of how do you, you know, create these conditions at a community level? You know, that's something we're really espousing as a leadership institute is creating conditions for transformational change in the community. But it starts with, leaders, individuals like Salam mentioned, it starts with it and then builds out to their own organizations and then the community. So tell us a little bit about what you see there um, mixed with these ingredients you mentioned um, and what we're, you know, what we're espousing, what we're hoping for. Um, How do you accomplish this, these conditions for transformation at the community level? I think the first thing to do would be to start with a conversation and um, as the, the curriculum states, to ask the right questions, um, I think the conversation has to be without an ask. The conversation has to be about understanding each other. And um, curiosity. As a, exactly. As someone who's new to the community and someone who's responsible for a pretty important resource, resource in mm-hmm. the community, I find sometimes in some of these conversations, they're really about the resource. 
right? It's like, well, how are you? Who are you? Can you do this for me? Mm. And so that is not a great start for, you know, transformation, right? If I feel like the only reason we're having this conversation is because you think that there's something that I can do for you. And so that is always the the underlying um, piece to this discussion. So I think conversations about who people really are and understanding what people's needs are is a great start. So you got to let go a little bit of the the resource, let go of the fruit a little bit of and 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 be a little vulnerable and start with. with yeah. With and a, a, a relationship and a conversation that's not transactional, that's mm. really about learning and understanding, just learning and understanding without an ask um, is a great start. So to, to, to have that be possible at a community level. Um, yeah, I agree. I think that's a huge, uh, a huge condition for transformational change is, is that right there it's creating spaces for understanding for curiosity to happen that moves beyond the transaction and that's one of the spaces that's one of the things that i think capital community media can be we can be the space mm-hmm. right we can be the space where people can come together have a conversation have a forum about it um live twitter discussion facebook whatever yeah. because we want to bring the voices together mm. love it yeah what else any 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 others and that, and that question of bringing it, bring the transformation at a community level. Um, I think being open-minded, being open to change um, is important. And again, that's, that's hard for folks that have been doing things a certain way for a really long time. And we think that we can change. We like to say it, but it's not <laughs> necessarily, like it. <laughs> it's not necessarily true. You know, people will stick with the same team forever just because, right. And it doesn't matter, you know, whether they win or whether they lose, but that's my team. And I think that we can be the same way around a lot of things, around ideas, around how we structure our relationships about the things that we eat. We just have a set way of doing things. And it's really hard to get outside of that. Yeah. Salam, you don't always have to be an Arsenal fan. <laughs> right? <laughs> just he's like, he's like, he's like, don't you dare say that. <laughs> Salam's a big Arsenal um, fan. Yes. And, you know, once an Arsenal fan is always an Arsenal fan. See, refusing to change. So, <laughs> prime example. Prime example. I'm a big we, we bandwagon just... guy. I just get on the best team that's there. Yeah. Well, what I really um, think relative to transformational change and capital community media in particular, and the role your leadership and the entity, the organization as a whole can play is to be the... Um, I love what you said about it being the space in between, because I was thinking it could be that, that linkage, Mm -hmm. it could be that transformative mechanism because quite often we talk about organizations, not wanting to change people, not wanting to change. Sometimes it's entire communities that don't want to change. Mm. And I think culture, absolutely. Communities and culture. Absolutely. But I think we're so fortunate to have capital community media, and your leadership, because we can think about now through this experience, in addition, uh, about what does transformational change really look like at a community level and how come how can this wonderful asset that we have help facilitate that change and help people understand, you know, the importance of curiosity, the importance of looking at things differently, the importance of understanding themselves. I think communities need to understand who they are if they want to change. Just Mm -hmm. like we as people, Mm -hmm. we have to know who we are in order to change. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a great experiment. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm excited. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I would, I want to hear your closing statement, but uh, just a, I think just a fun kind of fact that I'm coming across and in my own studies of, of transformational change and in, in my PhD at this community level. I'm so curious about it. And, and I've come across a few articles that uh, there's been communities that have come together and created, you know, what we can call really transformational change. And, and there's something that they have in common. They, they have obviously cross-sector collaboration, leaders coming together, but something I found recently that I think applies directly with you is they always make sure that one of those they kind of almost categorize it as their own, as a sector in and of itself, but it's media. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, to create change at that level, there's got to be consistent, clear, competent communication across the board to tell the story, to get people, you know, in the same narrative together. So um, from kind of an academic lens, I think it's really 
really, really cool that uh, this came together like like this today. And and I think that organizations like yours will be vital in in transformation at a community level because the space they provide, mm-hmm. the stories that they tell, etc. Um, so, final statements. What do you got? Final statements. I would say that, um, and this is going to sound really, as soon as it came in my head, I realized this is going to sound kind of corny and cliche. Um, I but love corny and cliche. We have it. to, um, we have to be the change that we want to see, mm. right? It's not an original quote, but I think it's relevant. Gandhi. And um, it is understanding that the change always starts with you mm. and that we have to be responsible for the way people experience us. And the only way to do that with some level of accountability is by saying, I am willing to change and I'm willing to take that first step. Yeah, I love that. Gandhi, be the change you wish to see in the world um, and take responsibility for for ourselves and others in that space between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Awesome. Thank you. Salam, any last final thoughts? No, just to say thank you. And I I love your vision. I love the way you think about these things. And I think the future is really bright for Capital Community Media and for our community. And I'm just looking forward to being a part of the journey. Yeah. And I hope it's, uh, I hope it's okay for me to say, I really think that uh, you're here for a reason, Jasmine. And, uh, and um, I think that, that the, the things that our community can accomplish together um, will, will be more possible with you, you here. So um, appreciate your, your involvement and your, your commitment coming from the outside. I'm a transplant as well, and I've really learned to love this place. And there's something special going on here. Um, and it's fun to be part of it and fun to meet people like Absolutely. you. So thanks, being on, thanks for being on the show. And Salam, thanks as always for, Thank you. for being here. And uh, listeners, thanks for tuning in. There's a lot to think about today. I uh, really want to encourage you to think about those ingredients for, for transformation in your own life, in your families, in your organizations, and most importantly, in our communities. Um, because transformation starts with one person at a time changing. So uh, with that, uh, take, take care, be safe. Until next time, have a good one.